You, you, may have, you may have heard that or seen that before. It's very, a very famous uh, uh, post-game conference by a, uh, a head football coach for Coastal Carolina. Um, you may have seen that, and you've probably seen others like it. You've probably seen, actually, you've probably seen a lot of um, speeches that coaches give to the players, right? What was the guy's premise right here? A weird story, a weird kind of meow there, but what was the premise of this story? What was his, what was his point that he got across, tried to get across to his players with the cat and the dog story? Be more like dogs, right? Not like cats, more like a dog, willing to put the effort in and the work in to win a football game, right? Don't be worried about what kind of shoes you got on, how good you look. Don't be worried about how good you look in the mirror. Be worried about doing the things necessary to be victorious. Now, here's what I want you to think about. What if that coach, right there, said that very same thing to his players, be more like dogs, not like cats, but then he said, um, look, to be honest, guys, this, this, this season, um, we've got a lot of tough teams that we're playing. And here's the truth. We're not good enough to beat any of these teams. So we're not going to win a single game this year. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to work just as hard. I want you to put just as much effort into it. I want as a team to grow closer together. Let's work as though we are going to win when in reality we're going to lose every game. Okay? Now be honest with yourself. Would you put the same amount of effort in? Give me a yes or a no. No. Okay? We'd like to say, yeah, man, I'd, I'd put that effort in. But most likely we would not put the effort in necessary. Why? Why do we see so many speeches? Like I, I remember in 2008... Um, the Florida Gators were playing the Oklahoma Sooners in the national championship game. And uh, Tim Tebow gave a wonderful halftime speech. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, when I watched it, I was ready to, to get up and run through a wall. Okay? Um, but basically, what if Tim Tebow said, guys, listen, they're too good. We're not going to win. Um, you know, let's go. Okay? Now, here's, the, here's what I, the point I'm trying to get across. I feel like, as the church today, where we find ourselves right now, there's a spirit of defeat, okay? There's a spirit of pessimism, spirit of fear, and there's a spirit of defeat, okay? Before we start this morning, I want to ask three questions. One I want to answer, well, I want you to answer out loud, the first one, okay? Where is Christ right now? Somebody tell me. He's in our hearts, he's everywhere. Specifically, where does the Bible tell us Jesus... Oh, well, this may make it a bit, a bit easier. Where is Jesus seated right now? The right hand of his Father, okay? Jesus seated at the right hand of his Father, okay? Now, these two questions, these next two questions, I want you to answer internally. Actually, I'd love if you had a piece of paper or something to write on. This is one time you can use your phone if you want to write a, a note on your phone. Here are the two questions I want you to answer. Number one. What will Jesus accomplish on this earth? Okay. What will Jesus accomplish on this earth? And number two, will Jesus be, victori be victorious here on this earth? Okay. So those two questions. What will Jesus accomplish on this earth? And will Jesus be victorious through his gospel? and the power of the Holy Spirit on this earth. I'm going to give you just a couple seconds to write those down or to think about those. And then I'm going to come back to those at the end of this and see if those have changed, okay? But again, we see, just be honest, okay? 
we see, and sometimes, some of us feel sometimes, that thought. That out there is too far gone. Our culture, our country, the world is too far gone. There's no victory left. All we do is we pull as many people as we can to Jesus. And we let the world continue going the way it's going, right? Think about, for yourself, think about the church and their mission, okay? And think about that mindset. The same way that a football player, when he hears, hey, we're not going to win a single game, but let's keep working hard. A football player is like, I'm not going to put effort in. If I know that I'm not going to win, right? If I know there's no chance of victory, why put the effort into it, okay? And the same thing can be said in any aspect of your life, and specifically in your call and your mission to go to the world. If we believe there's no victory to be found, it will show. In our methodology, in the way we teach and preach, in the way we share the gospel, it will show. Okay? So will Jesus, what will Jesus accomplish on this earth, and will Jesus be victorious in history? If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn to Psalm Chapter 72, Psalm 72 is where we're going to be this morning, Psalm 72. And as you're turning, let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, today, your word is alive and it's true. Would you burden our hearts, God, for the promises of your word? Would you allow them to take root? Would you um, call us to repentance? Would you call us to faith in your son? Would you call us as your church to go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 72, Psalm 72. This is a psalm concerning Solomon, who was David's son. Now, if you've read the Bible at all, if you've read the New Testament at all, most of the time when, we, when, when the, the New Testament writers quote a psalm, they'll say something like this. Yeah, David said this, okay? Like in Acts, Peter says, David said this very same thing. He says, you're not going to let your, your chosen see decay, okay? He quotes psalms, uh, a psalm. And he says, this is what David said. But then he said, uh, but David's like, David's tomb's right here. Okay? David saw decay. Okay? His body saw decay. And so Peter says that David, anointed by the Holy Spirit, wrote down what he wrote down concerning who. Who was the one that would not see decay? Jesus, right? Peter wrote, or Peter said, David wrote concerning Jesus. Okay? Just... For, for future reference, all of us know this, but the Old Testament is not the Word of God under the New Testament. It's not the Word of God subservient to the New Testament. It is the Word of God. And so just like Peter and Paul and James and John, as they were carried along by the Spirit to write down what they wrote down, David and Moses and the authors of the Old Testament were the same. Okay? It's the Word of God. Now, if God makes a promise, what happens? takes place, okay? If God makes a promise, it will take place. And here's the crazy part. It might not take place in our time, right? Some people died before seeing the fruits of the gospel. Lots of people died before seeing the fruits of the gospel in this country, right? All over the world. Generations before us died before seeing the fruits that we so take for granted today, okay? But if God makes a promise, he will keep it. So Psalm 72, concerning Solomon, but concerning the Messiah. I'm going to read all the way through it, and then we'll unpack it, okay? Verse 1, give the king your justice, O God, 
and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear posterity for the people. Sorry. And the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the people, of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion, listen, from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings bow down before him. All nations, all nations, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone, who alone, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Um, there's a lot there, okay? Question. Psalm 72, optimistic or pessimistic? What do you think? There's no defeat found in Psalm 72, okay? And here's the truth. If you read the Bible from cover to cover concerning the kingdom of the Messiah, you will never, ever read defeat. Never. You will always read victory. And not only just, not just small, minute, little victory, you read victory of mass proportions. The world, Right? The world, victory over the world, his dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the earth. Hey, start with your favorite river. Ready? Think about it in your mind. Start walking to the end of the earth. What does that encompass? The whole deal, right? Doesn't matter what river you start at. From the river to the end of the earth, that is the promise of the reign and the rule of this Messiah. So let's unpack this. Psalm 72 Christ will reign with justice and with righteousness. Now, this is 
hope for you and I today, okay? Because here's the truth. Look, out, look, look where we find ourselves, okay? There's injustice everywhere, okay? There's unrighteousness everywhere. And so when we read that this Messiah, who's ruling and reigning now at the right hand of his Father, is going to rule in justice and in righteousness, what are the implications of that for you and I today? Because there's implications to Christ's rule and reign, if he's ruling in justice and in righteousness. Is Christ concerned with justice and righteousness? Yeah. Okay. Now how is a world full of injustice and unrighteousness supposed to hear of justice and righteousness? It's you and I. We bring forth justice. We bring forth the gospel that brings light in the darkness. It brings the dead to life. It brings righteousness and justiceness. Justiceness. Ju- justice. Sorry. Gosh. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. It should be on the board here. This is what it says. The Son, he says, this is the Father saying to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness. Righteousness there as well is the scepter of your kingdom, right? Jesus Christ's kingdom is a righteous kingdom. Listen to John 5, 22. You all know this verse. Jesus says, the Father judges no one. He's given all judgment to who? The Son. And the Son will judge in justice and in righteousness. And that's good news for us today. And listen, that's good news to a world full of injustice. Full of unrighteousness. Because the truth is the gospel changes the individual. The gospel changes culture. Okay? What, is, what are cultures made up of? Individuals. Right? You can't have a culture without individuals. So if the gospel can change the heart of an individual, there are many individuals in here that that has happened. What is, what's to say for a culture? Can a gospel transform a culture? Yeah. Can it transform a world? Yes. It certainly can. Verse 5 through 7. Christ will reign forever and ever. Listen. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. All generations. Like the showers that water the earth in his days may righteousness Flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Question, how many of you went to bed last night fearful that the sun wouldn't come up this morning? We have a pretty good idea that the sun will come up tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Not only because it did yesterday, but because God holds all things together. And so when Psalm 72 says, hey, reign in justice and in righteousness until what? While the sun endures. What does that mean? Forever, right? Until it's all said and done, Christ will rule and he will reign. As long as the moon throughout all generations. I want you to see this. Psalm chapter 22. It's on the board. You can write all these down if you want them. Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 is another very messianic psalm. It's the psalm that Jesus quotes when he's on the cross. And we did a, a sermon through this. The Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that that. That phrase is what begins this psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's a psalm of lament. It's a psalm that prophesied the death of 
Jesus, but not, not only his death, but his resurrection and his victory. Listen to this, uh, verse 29 of, of, of uh, Psalm 22. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep. Next slide, there you go. Himself alive, sorry. Prosperity shall serve him. Listen, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness. Listen, to a people not yet born that he has done it. What was the promise in Psalm 22? For generations, people not even born yet would proclaim the righteousness that was brought by the death of Jesus. And listen, all of us today, we're heirs of that promise. And the generations to follow us will be heirs of that promise. The Lord did it, and he was victorious, and righteousness was brought through this Messiah. From generation to generation, it would be proclaimed. Revelation 11, verse 5. What does it say? It says Jesus is going to reign forever and ever. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Now, forever and ever. Is there any end to that? There's no end to that reality, right? Um, Just keep that in mind as we continue forward. Verse 7, in his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till there be no more. That's again good news for you and I. But it's only good news if we are willing to bring the message of righteousness to a culture of unrighteousness. It's not good news to a culture that doesn't understand it. It's good news to those who have received it. It's time for us as the church to bring that word, bring the message of peace and righteousness. Jesus' righteousness will be extended to his people and to the world. You know this pa- passage, Isaiah 53. Again, another prophecy concerning Jesus and his death on the cross. Listen to this. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Right? What was done on the cross? Christ took my sin. He took every believer's sin. And he dealt with it. And he took the wrath of God upon himself. And so here's the great exchange for you as a believer. Your sin is credited to Jesus, and his righteousness is credited to you. That's wonderful, wonderful news. 2 Corinthians 5.25, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us all, so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Okay? That is good news for a culture that needs it so desperately. Okay? We need more dogs, right? We need more people that are willing to put the work and the effort to do that, to take that message. Here's what, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 7 through 20, 17 through 20. Okay, listen to what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's pass away, the new's come. Behold, new things have come. All of this is from God, who through Christ, listen, reconciled us to himself. And what did he give us? He gave us the message of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world, not just a few people, okay? Not just a certain segment of this, the, the, universe, or the, 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 the world. He was reconciling in Christ the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting this message to us. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, listen, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.20 is the, uh, the verse that, uh, if you ever have been to Camp McCall, that's our you know, royal ambassador. It's a royal ambassador. It's their, their theme verse. Right? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. What does Paul say we've been entrusted with, church? The message of what? Of reconciliation. He says, we plead on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And it's not just for Anderson County. It's not just for the United States. It's for the world. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We talked about victories earlier. It's not a minute victory. Okay, This is a colossal victory to be won by the Messiah and his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension to be seated with his Father. Let's keep going. Verse 8 of Psalm 72. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring him gifts. May all kings fall down before him. And all nations serve him. When we think about a rule, I mean, that's a pretty far-encompassing rule, right? From sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth, all kings, all nations coming to serve this Messiah. Now, be honest, okay? Do you believe that that's possible? Not to answer it out loud, but be honest with yourself. Do you believe that that's possible? All the kings of the earth rendering tribute to this Messiah. Okay? Because here's the truth. Your answer to that question will change drastically your methodologies, the work that you're willing to put into sharing the gospel. It changes everything if the answer to that question is yes. It changes everything. Okay? From sea to sea, no end. Okay, his reign has no end. And we've heard this before. We all know this verse, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. What does it say? To us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government, okay, the government will be on his shoulders. This is not merely a spiritual reality. This has applications and implications for our society today, for the United States, for China, for Papua New Guinea. Everywhere, the government will be on his shoulders, Christ's shoulders. He will be, ca be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and don't miss this part, of the increase of peace and his government, what? There will be no end. There will be no end. On the throne of David over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Sound familiar? Right? Righteousness and justice. 
But of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. No end. Okay? No end. I just want to, uh, there's a story in, uh, I think it's John's gospel. Um, Jesus casts out uh, a, de- a demon from um, somebody. And the Pharisees are saying that he is, um, he's demon-possessed. They call Jesus demon-possessed. And Jesus says, um, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? So here's a question. Did Jesus cast out demons by the finger of God in the first century to those people right there? So what does that mean for Jesus and the first century people? He said, if I do this by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's, It's here. Okay? So for us, listen, this is not a future reality that we're waiting for, okay? It's not a future reality we're waiting for. Christ's kingdom is here, and it's growing, right? We, we, just, we just talked about, um, just in Anderson and Greenville, students willing to lead other students, right? In, in gospel presentations, right? Christ's kingdom is growing, and though we see unrighteousness and injustice, Christ's kingdom is still growing. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I want you to, I want you to this next verse, I want you to turn to it in your Bible. I want you to highlight I want you to remember this, because this is where we're going, okay? This is the reference point for where we want to get to, okay? And this was a promise given by Habakkuk, okay? Now, Habakkuk's a, a tough Bible, uh, tough a book in your Bible to find. So if you have to use the, the front to find it, that's, that's completely fine. But Habakkuk 2.14, I want you to hear this, okay? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge and of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How many have been to the ocean before? Okay. Anywhere in the ocean... It doesn't have water. When we were talking about this with our students, uh, Corey, who is a, um, uh, a witty young man, most of you know, um, he said, yeah, uh, islands don't have water. Um, I was like, yeah, but islands aren't technically the ocean either. Okay? So here's maybe a better question. Is there anywhere in the ocean you can go where it's not wet? Anywhere. Habakkuk says, the earth can be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As the ocean is wet, that's where the knowledge of the glory of God is going to go. Are we there yet? No. But that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to that reality? How do we get to the multitude that John sees in Revelation 7? Remember, he looks and he sees a, a, a multitude that no one can count, right? It's a lot of people. But how do we get there, okay? It's a pretty easy answer, right? Jesus tells us how we get there. Before he left his disciples, he said he's going to uh, uh, leave them. But what does he say? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we all know it, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and disciple the nation. Now listen, just, just a pause here. This is not merely... A proclamation of the gospel to the nations. That is not what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. What's being a disciple? What's discipling somebody? 
It's more than a mere proclamation of the gospel. He says, go with my authority and make disciples of all the nations. Teach them obedience to what I've commanded to you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is how we get to Habakkuk 2.14. That's how we get to Revelation 7. It's the church being willing to go and make disciples. But we can't just go. We have to go with Christ's authority. He says, it's all mine in heaven and on earth. All of it's mine. You're not going to go anywhere where my rule and reign isn't there. All authority is mine. So when Don and Linda Johnson went to Peru to share the gospel with the Peruvian people, they never stepped place in one spot that Jesus wasn't king over. Right? For those that we know in our church that have gone overseas as missionaries, they've never stepped foot in a place that Jesus isn't king over. And so we proclaim the gospel faithfully. And we disciple the nations faithfully. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute, verse 10. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts, verse 11. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. May all kings bow down before him. <clears throat> Another verse that you should know and you should go to um, often is Psalm 110, verse 1. And I've mentioned it um, probably hundreds of times to our students. And I mentioned it a good bit of times here, okay? Psalm 110 is another Messianic psalm, <clears throat> very Messianic psalm. And Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most quoted Old Testament passage in our New Testament, okay? And it's always referring to Jesus, the Messiah, okay? Here's what it says. Psalm 110, verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Pause. Where's Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father, okay? Good, all right. The Lord says, my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Okay? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, question. Victory? Yeah. No defeat there. Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Paul quotes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 25. Listen to what he says. For he must reign until all of his enemies have been put under his feet. Okay? Now let's just think about this. How many enemies do we know of Christ today? There's a lot, aren't there? And here's the crazy part, okay? Each one of us, <laughs> the Bible says we're, we're enemies of Christ at one point. Right? Um, you have Romans 5.10 up there? Is it up there? There we go. Okay. Here, listen. For while we were, what? Enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Guys, here's the, here's the truth. All of us, if you're, if you're a believer in Christ today, you were at once an enemy of God. And you now are one of the enemies that have been made a footstool under the feet of King Jesus. Each one in here that has put their faith and their trust in Jesus has become a footstool under his feet. Okay? Now, listen, um, we, are, uh, we are Baptists. We are not universalists, right? Okay? So don't get me wrong. I am not saying every person in the world 
forever will be saved. But what I am saying is this. What we find in Scripture is a kingdom that will grow and it will grow and it will grow. You see in Daniel, you see a little stone that turns into a mountain that fills the whole earth. Jesus says, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts small, but it becomes a large tree. It's like leaven in a loaf of bread. How many of you bake? Maybe bake bread? Okay. Can you take yeast out once you put it in? Carson? No. Okay. You can't take it out. And what does it do? Once you throw it in there, it permeates the whole loaf. There's not one part of the loaf that doesn't have yeast in it. Okay? That's the picture that we get of the kingdom of God. Okay? So think about first century mustard seed. Now, okay? Yeah, there's a lot of enemies left. But think about just, a, just from the first century to now. Okay, we're in Anderson, South Carolina. Speaking English. Right? Most people don't even, wouldn't even understand the English that I'm speaking in parts of this country. Okay? And we're worshiping the Lord God of Israel with a Bible in our language. Okay? You can see the kingdom of God at work. And listen, we are, uh, we are, are taking the fruit of generations before us that we're willing to suffer, willing to, to bring forth the message of the gospel. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 12. He delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. I don't think there's a, a greater passage for our culture than, than this right here. Because here's the deal. I don't think many people wouldn't tell you, many people that you come into contact with, but there are people today in our culture that are restless and needy and burdened and hurting. They won't tell you, but how do they show you? They show you by looting a target or setting businesses on fire, okay? Now that makes us righteously angry when we see that, okay? But what do we, why don't we see the implications underneath that these people are hurting and they need something greater than uh, a president. They need something greater than more money in their bank account. These people need the gospel. Romans 10, 13, listen to what it says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. Each one of us spiritually were needy at one point. And we called on the Lord. If you're a believer, you called on the Lord and you were saved. He brought you to repentance and faith. He saves the needy. He brings them and he blesses the helpless. Everybody knows this passage, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and burdened, I will give you rest. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without spot or blemished. How are we saved? From the yoke, the heavy yoke and the burdens were saved only, we're only delivered through the death of our Messiah. We're almost done. Christ's rule will consummate in victory. Okay? Don't forget that. If you haven't heard anything, Christ's rule and reign will consummate, it will end in 
victory. It's what the Bible promises. If God makes a promise, what happens? He will keep it. Now, what happens between now and then, people can disagree on. That's perfectly fine. But what we cannot, dis- we, can, we cannot disagree on is that Christ will be victorious in history. His rule and reign in history will be victorious. Listen, verse 15, Psalm 72. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. Let me pause, okay? The implications of Christ's rule and reign are not just spiritual, okay? They're not just spiritual. There's physical aspects of Christ's rule and his reign. Listen, again, may there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. Anybody know what Lebanon was famous for? Somebody said it. Cedar trees, okay? Now, may its fruit be like Lebanon. If there's a lot of trees in a place, what does that mean? There's going to be a lot of fruit. A lot of trees bear fruit, okay? So again, it's another picture of the abundance that that Christ's rule and reign bring to a society. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all nations. All nations, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth, May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Christ's rule and His reign will consummate in victory. Do you have Hebrews 7, 24 up there? Okay. Um, Okay, there we go. But He, speaking of Jesus, holds His priesthood eternally. What does that mean? Jesus holds His priesthood eternally because He is eternal. Long live King Jesus. Hebrews 13, 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Long live King Jesus. His rule and his reign will consummate in victory. Now I want you to, uh, I want to park here just for, just for a second. We're almost done. In Genesis chapter 12, God takes Abram and he takes him outside. <sighs> And he tells him, to, um, tells him to look up at the, at the stars. And you remember what he said to Abram? He said, Abram, look at the stars. So shall your offspring be. Any idea how many stars are in our universe? Does anybody know? Anybody have a guess? In our galaxy, okay? In our galaxy, the Milky Way, it's estimated 100 billion, okay? Here's the estimates for the scientists, okay? 1 times 10 to the 24th power, okay? It's a big, huge number of stars, okay? God takes Abram out, says, look at the stars, so shall your offspring be. <clears throat> he also said, the sand of the sea. This would be the number of his offspring. Now, what do we find out in the New Testament? Paul specifically says, about Abram's descendants. He says it had nothing to do with blood. It had nothing to do with your 
relationship to Abraham. Abraham's true descendants are those who put their faith and their trust in this Messiah. Those are the descendants of Abraham. Okay? Abram, look at the stars. <clears throat> so shall your offspring be. The true offspring of Abraham are children of the promise, not children according to Abraham. It's the ones that put their faith and their trust in Jesus. So what does that mean? Number-wise, of people in history who will put their faith and their trust in this Messiah. It's not a small number, is it? The sand of the sea, the stars in the sky. Now do you see where we're beginning to get to Habakkuk 2.14? Glory of the Lord will be known throughout all the world as the waters cover the sea. Revelation 7, John sees. What does he see? He sees a multitude of people no one can count. That's where we're headed. And that's the consummation of Christ's victory. It's not a couple people here and a couple people here and a couple people here. Here's a crazy, crazy thought to think about. What if, what if at the end of all things, when all is said and done, the men and women in heaven vastly outweigh the number in hell? What if? And I will tell you, if we take the promises of God seriously, we would do all that we can to make that a reality. Because here's the truth, okay? Let me end with this. Jesus tells us how to get there. He tells us in Matthew 6, is how you pray. You pray, hey, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done where? Here on earth as it is in heaven. That's our goal as the church. We pray for that. And we have a long way to go to get there. If God's will on earth is the same as it is in heaven, we've got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go. In Matthew 28, he tells us what to do. With Christ's authority, we go and we preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. Let me end with this. Jesus, when he told his disciples he was going to leave, at that point, they, they, they thought, hey, or, you know, they even asked him, are you going to consummate the kingdom now? And he said, that's not for you to know. Right? That's not for you to know. So you're going to receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, and then he leaves. Okay? Now listen, if the disciples had a thought of defeat, and they looked at the culture around them in the first century, they looked at the Roman rule, and they said, gosh, this is too far gone. What would it have done? In all reality, they saw a culture very similar to the one we find ourselves in today. In some cases, worse. And yet the world was turned upside down. And the message hasn't changed. Christ will be victorious in history. And it's on you and I individually to have a thought and a mindset of that. And we go and we work each day with that mindset and that goal in, in mind. Christ's victory for us individually and for the people that we interact with. That's how it changes. It doesn't come like the 82nd Airborne. It doesn't blow up the world and change it automatically. What did Jesus say? Again, mustard seed, large tree. Leaven, whole loaf. 
small rock, large mountain. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Let me end with this. Today, um, some of you may be here and you're not a believer. The gospel is simple. You and I are wretches. We are not good. No matter how good we think we are, the Bible says we're not good. The Bible says we were created good, but we rebelled. And the Bible says that sin entered the world, not just into Adam and Eve, but actually the world. Okay? So what we see in the world, the world itself was also subject to the stain of sin. But God promised a Messiah. And through types and shadows, through the priests and the, uh, the priesthood and the sacrifices, he paved the way and made the way for Jesus to come and to step on the scene to live amongst his people, to serve them, and to ultimately die a death that we all deserve to appease the wrath of a holy God we could never appease. And he rose again, and he defeated death, and now he's seated and he's ruling and he's reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the call of the gospel is to repent and believe in this Messiah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for victory. Would you call us as your church to go forth in victory to a culture that needs it, to a world that so desperately needs it? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.